0: of course back on the video games if you applied to colleges like you applied to that game maybe I'd be happy with you it's been about three months since graduation you gotta get yourself together son why are you still at home? why aren't you in college yet? what are you an idiot? what am I doing? am I making enough money? how am I gonna support myself? where am I gonna work? Good morning. Good afternoon. How's everybody feeling today? Woo! Feels good to be in this house. And I am welcoming everybody that's watching online and you should be in this house and everybody here is going to welcome you but the loudness of their clap signifies the importance of being here in person. Let's welcome them in. Yeah, come on and see us. Come on and see us. All right. My name is Tim. If you're here for the first time, my pleasure that you are here. I hope it's not the last time that you come on back, make Water's Church your home, and everybody who comes regularly, said? Amen. Amen. All right, take out, if you would, your notes. They look like this in-house. Take those out. We're starting a new series. I love New Series Day. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. New Series like a new present. It's like a new Amazon package at the front door. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday night, first Tuesday, do not miss it. Uh, 6 p.m. prayer, and we want to encourage you to pray and go after God with us and uh, if you've never been to a First Tuesday, man, this is the one to come to. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. as God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And we want to pray over our graduates, too, uh, this First Tuesday. So if you're a graduate or you're about to graduate, you come on out. We'll pray over you. You can get all the degrees of man, but you can only get power from God. So come on out. Tuesday night. Now, 6 p.m. is prayer. You say, I work. I can't get there. That time. That's all right. Come anytime after 6 p.m. It doesn't matter when you come, it just matters that you come. It is the most life-changing moment of our month. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. So that's this Tuesday here at North Attleboro. Okay, um, take out the notes. And then also, if you are watching online, you can go to watershurch.guide. Because watershurch.guide is our virtual notes. looks like that. And then you can click on today's message and you will see today's message. looks like that. Living on Purpose, Part 1. The title of the message is In Process. In process, I want to do this series on purpose because more than ever before, I think people are living with a lack of purpose to their life. Why am I here? What's the point? And I, I think that there's first the cultural question of our age where we have more access to more information and more things than ever before. We can do um, amazing things even with a phone, uh, you know, you just got so much potential opportunity. But, but at the same time, there's the what for. What is this for that is underneath all of that, you know, all that opportunity? And what I think what we have is a culture where there's tremendous potential, but a minimal amount of purpose. And, and that's a dangerous place to be. Because if you don't know what you're made for, it's like this phone. It's like this phone. Like this phone can connect me. It can help me connect. It can uh, do just amazing things for my life. But if I think that this phone is good for hammering nails into wood, I mean, this phone's hurting, yeah? This phone will not last. This phone will break quickly. A lot of people have been treating their lives like a phone that they're using to nail nails into wood and they're broken and they're hurt and they've got the wounds in their souls and their hearts to 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 tell you you can't use your life the way the world and this culture tells you you've got to use your life the way the lord who gave it to you tells you you know who knows how to use this phone the best the engineer person who made it, the person who invented it, the person who came up with the idea. Well, that's, that's the story of your life. You know who engineered your life? The Lord. God Almighty saw you before you were even in your mother's womb. He called you by His grace. He loves you. And my Bible tells me in Psalm 139 that every day of your life was written in His book before one of them came to be. That means that He has a purpose for you. I think that there's also another reason why I'm interested in doing this series because it is graduation season. Graduates, we're so happy for you. High school graduates, college graduates, masters, doctorates, uh, anybody who a- ca- attained a graduation of some sort this past spring or this spring, raise your hand in our house. Raise your hand. Can we give them a nice hand? Congratulations. We love you. Amen. And let me be the first to tell you, you've accomplished nothing. <laughs> now life begins. And I think that God can use what you've got to help the world. I hope, it, I hope he will. But just remember, you paid for that. And now the world's going to make you pay to earn the way forward. <laughs> That's how it works. I just, uh, talked about this two weeks ago that life is like a big college or high school career. You come in, you're born, you're like a freshman. You don't know anything. Everybody's pushing you around, shoving you off to other people, kicking you down the hallway, making funny. You know, you know, you grow it, go through all those young years. Then you, then you become a sophomore. I like to say it's like your late 20s, maybe 30s. You know, sophomore, where you start to figure out a few things, like you got some wisdom underneath your butt, but you're still a sophomore. What's a sophomore mean in Latin? wise fool. That's what you are. You're a wise fool. And then junior year, you know, about 40s, 50s, that's where I am. I'm a junior. Yeah. We own this school. That's right. We like income inequality. Amen. Okay. We are pro, you know, all those kind of things that you're fighting for as a young person. All right. So, so, so just remember that there's a there's a group coming up after you that will be jealous of what you got when you get to that point. But anyway, then there's senior year, life, 60s, 70s, 80s, or whatever, however many years God, God gives you. And, and your plan is to get out of here, man. You're done. You're like, ah, just done with it. I want to move away and play golf all day. That's, that's the seniors in the house. And, and here's what I think about. If life is like that, how much better would it have been if you were a freshman in high school or college, and a junior would have come around you and put his arm around you and just said, hey, I, I believe in you. You know, you've you got potential. I'm not going to kick you around. I'm going to help you. you. And that's what we need from our juniors and seniors in life. Can I get an amen from all the freshmen and sophomores? Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel like I, I have a responsibility. I'm a junior now, and I feel like I have a responsibility to invest in the freshmen. And I, I think that the third reason why I want to do this series is because My son, my firstborn son, graduated high school this past week. I'm so proud of him. He's graduated as the second person out of my kids, second child out of high school. Yeah, tepid clap, tepid, you know. Uh, But I'm proud that I got two down. I feel like I graduated. I feel like I graduated. I got one more to go, and then, yes, Lord, right? (laughs) Right. somebody just told me back here, you know, when they graduate high school, that's when the problems begin. I'm like, don't tell me that. That's not what I want to (laughs) hear. But the other thing about my son is graduated high school, and and you know that he actually did something wonderful this past week. He preached to the youth ministry in our Apollo Beach campus this past Thursday. (laughs) Preached his first message. Chip off the old block. I'm so happy you clap because one day he will be your pastor. Amen. Uh, God bless nepotism. No. <laughs> Just kidding. But anyway, I, you know, it was a cool thing for me to sit down. I showed him my process of how I write a message out, how I study the Bible, um, how to put points together and everything. And then I kind of forgot about it. I get busy, you know. And then on Thursday afternoon, he gives me a call. The phone rings. It's my son, Connor. Connor never calls me. So I picked it up. I said, yes. He goes, what's up? Connor never asks me what's up. He asks me, what's in your wallet? That's what he does. He's a Capital One commercial. That's what he is anyway. Uh, what's up, Dad? I'm, I'm like, this is a weird conversation. I said, not much. How you doing? And I'll never forget two words. He goes, I'm nervous. And suddenly it came to me. I'm like, Oh, that's right. He's preaching tonight. This is his first time. And I was thinking about the first time I preached And I was his age. I was 17. I was in a church. It was very small, 30 people. But the pastor gave me an opportunity to preach on Sunday night because Sunday night was when the real Christians showed up and I couldn't cause any harm anyway. (laughs) And uh, so I I remember I prepared like crazy that week and I had like 19 pages of college-ruled notes. College-ruled, baby. Not wide-ruled. 19 pages. Get up there and I preached my guts out for eight minutes. I was done. The pastor's like, well, I guess I'll go and preach now too, you know? <laughs> and I just remember how terrible it was. I thought, man, this is my chance to really be dad. My dad, my son, I got a captive audience. He's ready to listen. I get, this is my chance to invest. I'm going to leave behind my wisdom and my, oh, this is a golden opportunity. So I gave him what I thought was the best advice I could give my 17-year-old son who was training to be a preacher. And I said, Connor, don't worry about it. No matter who you are, your first 200 sermons are going to (laughs) stink. And then he said, yeah, okay, that sounds good. And he went and he preached. And he preached, and he did a great job. He did a good job. I don't want to say great, good. And uh, everybody's like, good job, Connor, good job. You know what? He got ticked at everybody. He's like, no, it wasn't good. It's supposed to stink. That's what my dad said. So anyway, I was thinking about that moment... For Connor And I think that this is a moment everybody has in their life when you start something and you stink. And you think, maybe this is not for me. Well, let me take you on a brief tour of your life so far. It's always been like that. It's just you weren't that conscious of it. You don't even remember when you first started walking. Your mom does. And she could tell you that when you first started walking, you stunk. Yeah? She didn't say, well, walking's not for him. Okay, I guess that's just how I, you know. When you started school, you didn't know. When you went to college, you didn't know. And then when you graduate college or you get done with education, man, then it really starts. Then it's like the whole world you don't know. But here's why the message is called in process. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write it down. Purpose is discovered in process, not the pinnacle of life. Yeah. Purpose is discovered in process, not the pinnacle of life. <laughs> People are chasing pinnacles when they should be worried and concerned, not worried, but concerned about process. The pinnacle is that you, you graduated. This is a pinnacle, but that's not purpose. N- now you're just moving through the process. You get that first home, you're not, that's a pinnacle, it's not the end, it's processed. You get married, that's a pinnacle moment, and and, and unfortunately our culture makes way too much of wedding days, way too much. I'm doing a wedding on Tuesday, it's going to be with four people, only two of them are getting married, (laughs) but four people are going to be there. The people getting married and the two witnesses, and these people, they don't care. They're just moving through. Like, there's no big celebration, no big thing. Just, and I think what we do in our coaches, we always celebrate pinnacles because, we, because our phones kind of train us to do this. You know, we look at everybody's highlight. We go, oh, I want a highlight. I want a pinnacle. The pinnacle doesn't matter. Hey, by the way, pinnacles are dangerous places. Sometimes when you get to your pinnacle, that's when you can get proud. Look at David when he gets to his pinnacle in life. In, in 1 Samuel, he gets to the top. To, uh, 2 Samuel, he gets to the top. And he says, you know what, I don't need to fight anymore. David was a born warrior. He said, I don't need to fight anymore. Go, Joab, you go and fight for me. And he goes and he strolls on the roof of his house and he sees a naked woman bathing. Her name's Bathsheba. We know the rest of that story. Sometimes the pinnacle is the place of real Problems. Because here's the other thing. How do you know is actually your pinnacle? Maybe God has a higher height for you to go. Maybe he's got some low places for you to go through. Maybe he wants you to plateau for a little while in something so that you can learn to hear his voice. That's called the wilderness season. God is a big fan of the wilderness. Even Jesus went through 40 days in the wilderness all alone as God put in his life the things that he needed to succeed in the next stage. Don't chase the pinnacles. Trust the process. So we're in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. I hope you got your Bible out. Chapter 1, Philippians. I love paper Bibles in the house. Who's got a paper Bible in the house? Yes. If you're sitting next to somebody without one, feel free to look at them and judge them. I like paper Bibles, you can write in it, you can circle it, you can do all those things, and we don't really judge those who don't have a paper Bible, but you get one, because it's good to have one. But Philippians has uh, one of the greatest in-process passages, Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? That's one of the wonderful, most powerful promises, Philippians 1, 6 let Let's put it up. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I am in process. Somebody say, in process. In process. Now, this book is written by a guy named Paul, and we're going to talk about his story. But we want to, I want to read from chapter 1 about this because it's really, really powerful stuff. And it's probably one of my favorite passages in the book of Philippians. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. Here's what it says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has, what has happened to me, Paul says, has really served to advance the gospel. Oh, what happened, Paul? What, did you graduate college, seminary? What happened? How, let's see what happened. He says, So that has become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Oh, he's in jail. He's locked up. And people are learning that the reason why he's locked up is because of Jesus. And then he says this, this, and, And the brothers, most of the brothers anyway, have become confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. In my imprisonment. What then? Or some translations say, no matter. And I love that. What then? No matter. Only that Christ is preached in every way. And in that I rejoice. Then the next verse. And yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to your people the way you want to speak to them. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight. And may we see Jesus. In his name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. So this book, Philippians, is not a book. Did you know that? It's a letter. A lot of the New Testament books are actually letters. We call them books, but they're letters. The word epistle is a fancy word for letter. It is written by a guy named Paul. And Paul is writing to a church in first century Philippi. This is a Roman city, it used to be a Greek city, it used to be a capital city, very influential city. So he's like writing a letter from prison to a church in one of the most major metropolitan areas of the, of the world at the time. It's like, it's like a pastor writing to a church in New York City. And Paul knows from experience that this reality is unavoidable. We make plans, but God has purposes. We make plans for our lives, but God has purposes. And His purposes are bigger than our plans. And and His purposes are not centered on our plans. Our plans are part of His purposes. And sometimes He has to ignore our plans altogether to accomplish His purposes. And one of the persons that knew that better than anybody is Paul the Apostle. Because Paul the Apostle was planning in his old life, when he was named Saul, to be the greatest Jewish theologian in his life, in his time, in his generation. The greatest theologian around. He was an apprentice of a guy named Gamaliel, one of the most uh, influential, notable teachers and, and scholars of the day. He was advancing, he says this later on in Philippians, he was advancing beyond all of his contemporaries. I mean, he was the valedictorian of his class. He was um, important. He had potential. He was skyrocketing to the top of Judaism in the first century. Then he heard about this little group called Christians who were denying, uh, who, who believed that Jesus, this crucified Nazarene carpenter, was was the Christ, and he couldn't take that they were taking all these Jews captive by this philosophy, so he decides to go and start imprisoning these people and locking them up, us, our kind of people, and he starts going from town to town with papers from the chief priests to put them in prison, and he's on the way to Damascus, and God totally upends Paul's plans. We have plans, but God has what? Purpose. Purpose. And Jesus says, Paul, you're persecuting me. And he blinds them for three days, and he sends them into isolation. And Paul comes to Christ, and his life is 180 degrees different after that. Instead of persecuting and chasing down and hunting Christians, he starts producing Christians. <laughs> he starts pre- preaching the message of Jesus. He starts become- And so this man, nothing that Paul did did he do halfway. He did everything full bore. And so he goes from trying to be the greatest Jewish theologian in his life, in his generation, to trying to be the greatest missionary in his generation. And so he goes from city to city, teaching people about Jesus. And they hate him, and they reject him, and they persecute him, and whip him, and stone him, and shipwreck him. And he goes through all these troubles, but he's going, going, going. No one can stop this man. He wants to tell the whole world about Jesus. Powerful, powerful story. But 20 years in, the Roman leaders come around him, put him in handcuffs, ship him off to Rome, and he's locked in a dungeon prison. We have plans, but God has purpose. This is a man who God interrupted plans, good plans, bad plans. And sitting in that Roman prison, he could have had himself a big, fat pity party, couldn't he? He could have said, like some of you say, like I have said, God, I am doing my best here. And this is how you repay me? Don't you realize I'm trying to preach? I'm going from city to city. I have borne so much hardship for your name. And you put me in prison. You will, why do you let the bad guys win? Anybody have a conversation like that with God? What, do you do you see what's going on? Anybody? Yeah, I, I'm like that. And and. and Paul could have done that, but he doesn't. And sitting in that Roman prison, chained to a Roman centurion, chained to a Roman centurion, Paul picks up a pen and a paper, and he starts writing letters to the churches. He doesn't let his changed plans thwart God's purpose. My friends, life will change your plans And sometimes God will let the bad guy win. And you have a choice. Big fat pity party or pick up the pen and paper and do what you can with your life right now. Do something. Find a way to make an influence. Find a way to make an impact right where you are. There's a way, I'm telling you. And sometimes the greatest impact that you can make is just to get on your knees and pray. Some of you moms need to listen to me. I don't know why I'm saying this in this service. Maybe some moms need to hear it. But some of you moms, you have wandering children. And you're thinking, what can I do? God, why are you letting the bad guy win over my child's life? Get on your knees and pray. Because the power of a praying woman is one of the most powerful, earthquake-shaking, world-changing moments in history. Anyway, that letter becomes, the letter that he writes to the, the, the Philippi church, the book of Philippians in our Bibles. And do you think that Paul could have seen that that letter would become what it is? Do you think that Paul, when he was writing these words, could have foretold in himself that this letter is going to go into holy scripture and it's going to become part of the New Testament canon of Bible books, and it's not just going to go to the Roman world; it's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, and it's not just going to go in the Greek language; it's going to go in every language almost known to men. Over two thousand languages for two thousand years, the letter, of Philippi- the, the letter of Philippians has changed lives—young, old, black, white, yellow, red, brown all all over the world because a man who saw his plans put on pause still gave himself to the purposes of God. Amen. What could God do for you in that case? So I, I got three things from Paul here that I want to share with you and then we're done because Paul, what Paul learned was purpose is discovered in process, not pinnacle. Point number one, write it down. My purpose is tied to the people God puts in my life. Your, your life is not an island, John Donne. No man is an island. You, you, you are part of a community. This is very anti-American right now. Very anti-American because America t- trains you to focus on you, be your true self, your authentic self, find your true you, your voice, your story, your this, your that. Everything is about you, 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 you. Severe isolationism and we think, we think, and a lot of young people fall for this. You think that you, you think that you're making who you are. You're not making up who you are, and I guarantee you that everything that you like is not because of your individualities, because of the people around you, and the things that you don't like is a lot of because of the people around you. And I want you to think about your life. Really, let's think about existentially. You didn't choose when to be born, did you? You didn't choose where to be born. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your ethnicity. You didn't choose the generation, the time, the historical time frame of your life. All that was outside of your control. You didn't choose your family. You didn't choose the people who put you in family. You didn't choose, I mean, all that stuff, all that history of your story shaped you. And here's what I'm trying to say is you're not an individual. You're not. Again, very anti-American. But it is so important to understand our purposes Because this is what Paul knew. He wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. Here's why. Because the church in Philippi heard that he had been put in prison, and they cared about him. And so they sent a love gift, food and money, with a guy named Epaphroditus, one of Paul's friends, to Rome with the gift to bring to Paul in prison. And to tell Paul, the church is really worried about you. We care about how are you doing, how are you holding up? I mean, a prison visit. And Paul hears this, and he's hurt that they're so worked up over his condition. So this is why he writes this letter. That's what verse 12, let's look at verse 12 together again. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really, and the word really could be translated actually, has actually served to advance the gospel. He's like, hey, here's what he's doing. Are you ready? He's saying, hey, church, don't worry God is using this. I know I'm in prison, but amazingly enough, God has decided to use my imprisonment to spread the gospel further. And, and, and so here's how you get, are you ready? This is the whole point. Here's how you get the book of Philippians translated in over 2,000 languages and touching lives, billions of lives for 2,000 years. Here's how you get it. Because a group of people cared about one person and that one person cared about them. And I'll tell you, the book of Philippians has some of Paul's greatest hits. I'm in his top 40. Amen? Think about some of the verses. we already talked about one, Philippians 1, 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you love yourself that verse? I love that verse. And then you can go, Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a powerful verse. Right? And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What a powerful verse! And on and on it goes with other verses from the book of Philippians. Philippians 13. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what is ahead. Or Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again. Rejoice. Or Philippians 4.67. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Do you think that 2,000 years ago, Paul the Apostle could have ever imagined that those phrases from Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, would be written on the basketball sneaker of Steph Curry as he loses game two to the Boston Celtics. (laughs) I just jinxed them. Dang it. Anyway. Anyway. The point that I'm making is that you don't get Philippians without the care and concern of a Christian community for one another. That's so why you've got to get in the small group, life group, e-group if you're online. You've got to take that next step of Waters Church belonging where you stop just staring at me for 45 to 50 minutes on Sunday and you face each other. What could God do when you put down your agenda and and picked up a community of people that you care about and they care about you? I want you to write this down just to make sure you're getting it. Your purpose is discovered when you stop focusing on what you want and start thinking about what others need. Who's hurting in your life? Well, I got hurt, so I'm hurting. Okay, who is hurting around you? Uh, who needs what you've got? Who, some of you are juniors in the realm of going through divorce. What I mean by that is it's been a few decades since you went through it. Who around you has gone through a divorce and they're a freshman and they don't know what the heck they're going to do? You've got to come around and put your arm around them. I've been there who, who's lost a job? You're a junior, you're a senior, you lost a few jobs back in the day, and, and, and now you see other people losing their job. Hey, put your arm around them. Help them. Stop focusing on what you want and start thinking about what others need. That is the process by which God unveils His purpose for you. Or as Paul says so eloquently in Philippians 2:3, do nothing. From selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, great June word right there, great June, month of June, humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In a world that is all about flaunting your pride. The church must be completely counter to that and lay down our pride and surrender who we think we are and give our lives to Jesus Christ who will amplify our lives for his good and the benefit of other people. Point number two. My purpose is fueled through the pain God allows for me. We don't like pain. But we can't avoid it. Now, here's the good news. We need it. We need pain. There is a condition, I don't know what it's called, um, where someone can be born where they, their nervous system does not send the message to their brain that they're actually being hurt. These people, it sounds like a good thing. Like, imagine you could touch the hot stove and not be bothered by it. Sounds nice, but you could destroy. They, they can destroy themselves. Because your nervous system is there to alert you to, hey, something needs to stop here. Don't touch that. Don't keep moving in that direction. Don't walk there, right? If you didn't feel the pain, you wouldn't wouldn't move forward in in the right way. Pain is something that God allows. And I think, again, about Paul the Apostle, who God allowed him to get arrested because he was preaching the gospel. I mean, he's preaching about God's son, and God allows him to get put in prison. Again, pity party or purpose. And he writes, look, this pain is actually being used by God. This is how I I found my purpose through the pain. So verse 13, he says, number one, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Look at it, verse 13. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Now, the imperial guard was like the um, rangers of the military, the, of the army, army range, like really high up, specialized ops people. And, 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 and he goes, those people, because they're here guarding me, they've learned that I'm here not because I've killed people or stolen. They're here, they know that I'm here because I talk about this guy named Jesus. And I just think about the fact that Paul had to be j- uh, chained to a Roman centurion, and they probably you know, did it in shifts. So could you imagine being the Roman centurion chained to Paul? I mean, the guy would be just uh, talking your ear off about Jesus. Uh, talk about a captive audience, by the way. Amen. And just for 12 hours, let me tell you about Jesus. He changed my life. I used to be a Jew. I used to be going, la, 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 Jesus, you can change your life. You can change your life. Oh, I'm telling you, you can heal that. Oh, by the way, your mom, you can heal healed if you prayed. The Holy Spirit can fill you, heal your mom. And then just for 12 hours, this guy's like, enough, all right, fine. But a couple of them got saved. How do I know that? Well, look at the last verse in your notes. I should have put it here, but it's at the last verse in your notes, because look what it says in Philippians 4 or 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So the imperial guards got saved because Paul was chained to them for 12 hours a day. Eventually they spread the gospel message and, and went all the way up to Caesar's palace. And even some of Caesar's family members came to Christ. <laughs> That's amazing. Because Paul was in prison, though. He he probably never would have gotten an audience with Caesar's household if he hadn't gone to prison. So let me ask you: what audience has God given you through your pain? Because I'll tell you something wonderful about pain. It makes great friends. People who have heard your pain and have had your pain will listen to you. Sometimes that's the only way you get an audience, through pain, through trouble, through turmoil. And and, and this is what Paul had to experience for himself. You know, one of the biggest questions that we get in 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 the pastoral profession is, what's the deal with evil? Pastor, what's the deal with evil? Why is there evil? Why are... 19 kids and two teachers shot in cold blood through some psychopathic maniac. What's with that? Or what's with the governmental corruption that we see from head to toe in almost every country? You know, really, seriously, it was with evil. And, And here's what you have to understand the Bible teaches us about evil a lot. And what I love about the Bible is that it does not sugarcoat evil, evil is everywhere. And it's unavoidable, and it will not end until Jesus comes back. We know that that's what the Bible teaches. You can feel free to reject that, but that's what the Bible teaches. Evil will be here until Jesus comes back. The reason why evil got here is because Adam and Eve chose sin over serving God. So every evil in the world has been perpetrated by man's rebellion against God. Now here's the bigger picture of evil, because evil gets personal. God uses evil to accomplish great good. There's a story in the book of Genesis. It's about a guy named Joseph. It's actually one of the longest stories in the whole book of Genesis. Joseph is the son of, uh, one of 12 sons to a guy named Jacob. And Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. And his brothers hate him for it. And Joseph has dreams, and he can interpret dreams. And everybody thinks, a lot of Christians think, that Joseph's story is about how to fulfill your dreams. It is not about how to fulfill your dreams. Let's unpack it a little bit for you to understand what Joseph's story is about. He has the dreams. He tells his brothers. The brothers hate him. The brothers want to kill him. And instead of killing them, they said, you know what? Let's just sell them into slavery so we can make some money off them. So they sell them into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites bring them down to a guy named Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, his wife falls for Joseph, and she tries to sleep with Joseph. And Joseph says, I can't do this against God. And he does the right thing, and she claims rape and throws him into prison. And this guy, who with all the dreams and all the good that he's doing, is landed up in prison just like Paul. And he's in prison, and there's two prisoners who have dreams, and he interprets the dreams of the prisoners. One gets killed, the other one gets restored to Pharaoh's right hand. And And Joseph says, listen, remember me when you get restored because I'm in here unjustly. And the guy goes back to Pharaoh's house and he totally forgets about Joseph. And Joseph is there for two years. Pain, 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 pain. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret it. And the cupbearer to the king says, I remember a guy that I was in prison with. He could interpret my dreams. Maybe he can help you. And then one day, Joseph is brought from the prison back to the palace of Pharaoh. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh says, this guy's got the spirit of God. I'm going to put him in charge. He's going to be my prime minister. And Joseph finally sees his dreams come true. But it went through the pain. Yeah. And, and there's a great worldwide famine. But Joseph had saved grain. And wouldn't you know, the famine spread all the way back home in Israel And his brothers have to come before him. Those same 11 brothers who sold him into slavery. And the Bible says that they bow at his feet and they don't even recognize him because he's got all the Egyptian makeup on, you know, you know. And they don't even recognize him. And Joseph has a perfect revenge opportunity. I could cut their heads off. I could torture them. I could throw them in prison like they did to me. And they find out it's Joseph and his big weeping moment. Everybody's, you know, hugging each other, hugging it out. But then they suddenly think, wait a second, Joseph might do something bad when dad dies. And so they come to Joseph and they say, hey Joseph, before dad died, he told us that you should forgive us. <laughs> These people don't stop lying. This poor guy is always getting manipulated. And what does he say? Genesis chapter 50 verse 19. Beautiful, 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 this says, this. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Now look at this line, as for you, you meant what evil. evil against me but god meant it for good yeah. to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today you see what joseph had he had a bigger picture of his purposes my purpose is not for me is to help people around me and then he also saw that evil is actually used and leveraged by god because the story of joseph is not just about joseph no the story of joseph is not even about us The story of Joseph is pointing to somebody who would come much later after Joseph. A man named Jesus. A man named Jesus who would be loved by his father but rejected by his brothers and cast into the pit of death. But on the third day he would come out of that grave resurrect in power and he would give power to the church and through the death of Christ thousands and billions of people have been transformed through the evil that man intended against Christ. God has brought billions of good. That is the story of Joseph, and that is how God leverages our evil for his ultimate good. If you're a Christian today, and if you're going to heaven, I'm telling you, you're going to heaven because of the evil that Jesus went through on the cross. And I know that doesn't solve every question in your mind, but at least it lets you know that there's someone in heaven who knows what it felt like to go through hell. So what are you doing with your pain? Pity party or a wider angle lens of purpose? Some of you got to tell yourself this. God, get glory out of this story. I should have had you write that down as a note, but maybe you should write it in the margins. God, get glory out of this story. I, I'm hurting. I'm weak. I'm done. I want to quit. But if you can use this to glorify yourself, I'm good. And Paul resolved about that in Philippians. And now he didn't sugarcoat it. He still knew that there would be some people with shenanigans up their sleeve. Because look at verse 15. He says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. You know, you still do the right thing, and still some people will abuse it. He says, the latter will do it out of love, knowing that I'm here for the gospel. Then he says this, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. They try to afflict me. So even even when we understand pain and even when we understand the purpose of our pain, we still will feel some pinches from people with terrible motives. There's nothing you can do about that. But here's what Paul decides in verse 18. What then? Or no matter. I like that. No matter. Another translation says, nevertheless, only that in every way, whether pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice and I will rejoice. God, get Glory from my story. Point number three my purpose is fulfilled when I surrender my future to God's plan. Now, you want to get yourself here. I would like to say that you want to get yourself here before the day is out because you don't know the future, and neither do I. Man makes plans, but God has a purpose. And so some of you are graduating high school. You're so excited. You're so excited about the college experience. And you're going to get a degree in pharmaceuticals and you're going to go and you're going to make billions of do- millions of dollars and you're going to be so excited to be, "Oh, this is my plan." Okay. All right, all right. Pay attention to this next moment. If you're in this room and you graduated college and you're currently doing a job that had nothing to do with what you went to college for, raise your hand. Okay. So there was a time when all these people were just like you and God's purpose upended their plans. This is very freeing. This is why I told my son, your first 200 sermons are going to stink. Because it's okay to fail. It's okay to get 2 years into a degree program and realize suddenly that you have no interest in that degree program whatsoever and change courses. And do something different. Don't get so locked up into thinking that you have to have it all figured out. That you create a prison of your own making. That will leave you miserable for decades and generations. No, 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 It's okay to fail. It's okay to fail chemistry, my friend. Fail chemistry to the glory of God. <laughs> because that's what life is is a bunch of I don't know and who knows what's going to happen but you got to settle in your heart I will rejoice verse 18 yes and I will rejoice don't let the devil steal your joy just because you changed plans or plans were changed for you don't let the devil steal your joy I'm reading a book right now it's called The Bodies of Others The Bodies of Others and I only read this book because the woman who wrote it got banned from Twitter as soon as it was published that's a book I want to read So the premise of the book is how the COVID pandemic trained us to believe that our greatest harm came from the bodies of others. The six feet distancing stuff, social distancing, be alone, stay at home, save lives, all this garbage that was force fed to us for the last three years, ridiculous nonsense. And we were isolated. And the book talks about how scores of studies have been done that the number one way we punish people in our prisons today is What? Solitary confinement. And studies have been done about how only just 24 hours of solitary confinement can permanently alter the brain structure for life. And our governmental leaders put all of us in solitary for two years and some even still. Some of you are still at home. Can't come to church. Why? Because the bodies of others... When all the science proves on the other end of the spectrum, that in togetherness there's unity and community, and our immune system gets stronger through relationships and being around each other. We're actually here to help each other. That's the Christian message. They'll know you're my disciples by your love one another, not by your social distancing. And I mean, honestly, I'm just so, I'm so mad about all this stuff. I'm so mad because I know what the Scriptures teach and I know how science has been used as a weapon to keep you isolated. And then we have people going into schools and shooting people up. And we wonder why. Their brains have been chewed up by nonsense for two years. We need to get back to what Scripture teaches us. In the book, it talks about how One of the healthiest things that you can do for your body, you'll never believe this, one of the healthiest things you can do for your body, you don't even need to be a Christian, is to get in a group of people like this and sing the same song together. You sing a song with a group of people, it makes you stronger, it actually improves your immune system, it makes you happier, it releases endorphins. That's why we ask you to come early and sing with us. Because when you are a Christian and do it, the Holy Spirit gets involved and it's even better you got to come in at service after a long week when everybody's hating on you, and life is changing on you, and the kid won't come back to Christ. You need to start singing to yourself. Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I'll never be more glad. Oh, I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. I don't know the rest, but you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So why should he fail now? That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody kept singing it. He won't. He won't fail you. Young people graduating college, he won't fail you. Young people out of high school don't know what you're going to do. That's okay. He won't fail you and you just lost a job, and your career is going in a completely different way, or maybe you're upside down in your mortgage right now, He won't fail you. He's never failed, and He won't start now. And you need to get around people who will sing that into your spirit. (laughs) Paul says, look, I've already taken care of the hard part. I've already surrendered my life to Jesus. I've already surrendered my future. And he says this, I know, verse 19, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And notice that he doesn't suggest that deliverance means escaping jail. Verse 20, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And sadly, yes, one day, months or a year later, a Roman centurion would walk into that prison cell, take Paul by the hand and bring him out to a place where they would cut his head off. His letters are still being read and honored two thousand years later. So this question you got to ask: Am I surrendered to God's end game for my life? Am I surrendered to God's end game for this marriage? End game to this singleness? End game to my? career, end game to my retirement, end game to whatever it is that you're about to end, whatever, just to give God your future. Sermon in a sentence. My purpose is in process involving the people around me, the pain within me, and the end game God plans for me. You don't have to reach for pinnacles. You have to trust the process. And I believe when you trust the process, the best is always yet to be. We serve a Savior who saves the best wine for last. Would you stand with me? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes across this room because some of you right now need to surrender your end game to Christ. You need to surrender your life to Christ. Say yes to Him, no to your own plans. Some of you young people, listen. You need to say, and I'm going to talk about this next week, you need to say no to your parents' plans for you. That's a hard one. Of course, only if your parents are trying to lead you away from Jesus. But you need to find God's path for you. And some of you need to let the voices of this world be silenced so that you can hone in for the voice of God. Would you, in this place, with your head bowed and eyes closed, if, if you know you need Jesus in this place, this is your day to surrender your end game right here. Surrender your life right here. Say yes to Jesus. With your head bowed and eyes closed, would you say this after me if that's you? You know you need Jesus? Say it with your mouth. You can say it quietly, but say it from your heart. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, today I surrender my life to Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died for me. And rose again for me. And I give you my life. Have your way in me. In Jesus' name.